Hello and Happy New Year from the National Governance Association. Uh, this is Emma Knight, Chief Executive at NGA. And for our looking forward to the spring term 2023, I'm joined by Sam Henson, our Director of Policy and Communications. Hi, everyone. Steve Edmonds, our Director of Advice and Guidance. Hello. And Emma Bolchin, our Director of Professional Development. Hello. So normally on our termly podcast, we have a sort of look forward as to what we might be um, facing from either the wider world or perhaps more directly from the Department for Education, um, where this term, what we've actually seen is a removal of some of those things. I'm sure you will have seen that the schools bill hit the buffers um, and now is not going to be resurrected by the Sunak government. Um, but actually, that leaves us a space, doesn't it, as a school sector to get on with some things that actually we might need to and want to and prefer to um, get on with. Uh, there was actually a piece of good news um, as well, wasn't there, with the autumn fiscal statement, a little bit more funding for schools than any of us were expecting. It doesn't solve everybody's problems for the long term, but actually uh, it really has helped those people who are getting to the point where they really couldn't see um, solutions. I think, Steve, we've really noticed, haven't we, since that announcement, the sort of temperature of, of sort of concern around funding has uh, fallen a little bit. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it's fair to say. I think you're right. It, it was an un unexpected injection of cash to help to help schools. 2.3 billion over the next two financial years. Very welcome. Um, what it will do is it will help us uh, in governing boards get our heads and around and manage those uh, challenges of inflation and and uh, unfunded pay awards that were exercising us so much over the autumn term. Uh, and it leaves us in a better position, certainly than most of the public sector, actually. Uh, but as you say, uh, we're still facing tight constraints, but we have we have more wriggle room. There's no doubt about that. And uh, it's a nice way to start the year. Indeed. And we're definitely going to uh, be coming back to that issue of staff pay and staff more generally. But But just before we do that. Thinking back over um, 2022, Sam, at NGA, we spent a lot of time, didn't we, talking to the department about what might be in the white paper and then what might be in the, the, the bill and helping them develop some of their um, uh, uh, provisions around what is, what is good governance or strong uh, strategic trust governance, as the department was, was calling it. So to some extent, we're a little bit worried that some of those useful discussions might, might get lost. I mean, we're going to continue them, but, but where do you think they might take us? Yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, I think um, uh, although we've seen the, the schools bill uh, disappear, and of course that was the the, the, that contained the government's um, proposed uh, blueprint, really, to reform the academy um, trust system and to lay that groundwork for that um, ultimate goal that you'll remember they had to, to see all schools as part of a, a family of, of schools, part of a, a trust by, by 2030. We've, that's been, been ditched. The school's bill has been ditched. Obviously, it does leave some questions around what aspects of the white paper itself will um, continue 
um, in, 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 in different forms. Um, we heard at the uh, uh, earlier in, in, in December, the Education Secretary, um, Gillian Keegan, she, when she announced that the, the school's bill would be, um, uh, uh, would be um, stopped, um, they did say that they would be committed to some of the objectives that were 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 contained within um, the white paper. So I, I don't think it means that we will see everything within it um, completely shelved. We know um, that they're, they're still really keen to push forward with removing the, the barriers for faith schools, joining trusts, for example, um, and that uh, that goal of creating a, a register of, of children not in not in school that that will. Uh, definitely um, uh, continue. Um, but other propositions, um, I, I think, especially those that, that required legis legislation, um, it, you know, we, we really don't expect to see them gathering that, certainly the pace of change that the, the school's bill had, had initiated. So uh, I guess, Emma, we'll just have to wait and see, really. We know that the um, Academy uh, regulatory um, review group that was set up um, will um, continue, um, but uh, it, to to do exactly what um, we'll, we'll wait and see um, whether that definition of what strong trusts um, looks like um, comes to pass. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll just time will tell. We 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 really don't know, but I think um, uh, some aspects will will carry on, but but others won't. And and obviously, I think what that does mean is that whilst some schools um, were, were feeling a, a real degree of pressure to um, explore the option of, of, of joining or forming a trust when actually they they felt they had other things to focus on, it gives them more space to focus on those really important things now. Um, and so that, that is a good thing. Absolutely. Um, and there are ongoing discussions about simplifying some things. I'm um, at a meeting very shortly with the um, Minister Baroness Barron and the new Chief Executive ESFA looking at um, how the system of financial oversight might um, might not be as onerous as um, as it is at the moment. So yes, there will be there will be some things continuing. But as you say, what what's really important to schools, to to pupils, to governing boards uh, is clearly their people their staff and uh, we know almost in, in, in concert as some of those worries about um, uh, money have subsided a little bit, the worry about staff which was always there and has been for quite a long time has been in the ascendancy um, and clearly the issues of staff pay absolutely at the forefront particularly with um, strike ballots being undertaken. So one of the things that we do later this term is that um, Steve and I give um, oral evidence to STRB, the um, Schools uh, uh, Teachers uh, Pay Review Board. And before that, it means that Steve um, is working on our, our written evidence, um, which is really, really important part of the process. But I think um, uh, I'm always frustrated. And I think this year, because it's even more important from ever, than ever, um, we'll continue to be frustrated. And it would be nice to make, perhaps be, take it to the next stage and not simply sit here being frustrated about it. Um, is that we've always called, haven't we, every single year, Steve, for pay to be up 
uplifted with inflation, that that really should be the sort of minimum expectation. And then separately, you go on and look at affordability. The way the remit works at the moment is the pay review body has to take into account affordability, the public finances, at the same time as trying to work out what is fair pay um, for recruiting, retaining and motivating teachers so we we find ourselves almost in a situation where you you can't you can't win out and how independent really is that is that is that remit um steve i know you you share some of those frustrations but you might want to elaborate on on that bit more i think we all do it's the worst of all worlds as you say and uh last year's report as as you know uh recommended uh increases for teachers and, and leaders ranging uh, from five uh, percent to to nine percent which um, put into context was was significantly above what the government had had recommended to strb which is around three percent and what most schools had budgeted for in their you know in their own uh, in their own uh, pay budgets so that that created a, an issue, which uh, we we hope the additional funding will go some way towards uh, at least um, you know softening the blow of that. But you know we can't get away from the fact that inflation's currently around what ten point seven percent, I think, something like that, in, in around eleven eleven percent. So those pay increases uh, are significantly below uh, cost of living. You know that, that's. These challenges are not exclusive. Of course, they are to, not to the school system. You know, we're challenged throughout the economy uh, with this this problem. But um, it's it is the perennial issue, isn't it, Emma? You're quite right of of making um, teaching and, and school leadership a competitive profession and keep getting the best people into it and keeping the best people when at the same time as um, as the, the issues of stagnant pay, you have you know a high and excessive workloads and and you know high levels of accountability. All these things combine really to make a perfect a perfect storm, which which makes it very challenging really to recruit and retain teachers. And I'd be surprised if there's a person listening to to this podcast who at board level isn't affected in some way by 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 this issue. Uh, and I think it has to be top of the, the, you know, or near the top of the policy wish list, really, the, for the for the government to get hold of, uh, not just through uh, reforming the the pay system, but also looking at those other elements which affect uh, recruitment and retention. It is very, very frightening to think that we have, um, uh, you know, around uh, twenty six and a half thousand teachers who have walked away from teaching in the last five years within five years of starting in the profession you know that's quite some statistic isn't it and, and surveys conducted by you know reputable reputable service sources like naht saying that you know more school leaders now are considering quitting early and less middle leaders are considering making the step up because for the for the salary uh that you know everything that the, the the job brings and and the risks it brings to one's health and one's career isn't isn't worth it so you know you have to try we'll have to try i think and bring all these issues together uh and it's long overdue uh to to 
to make this to make this work because you know we've been speaking about school structures a few moments ago an incredibly important uh way of realizing our vision for pupils but quite simply schools can't function without staff you know whatever structure you're in so you know there's so much at stake here uh, it, it's hard to overstate isn't it exactly and and you know there's workforce issues right across isn't there? the workforce in this country at the moment particularly in the in the public sector with so many public services not being able to recruit the people they need at the pay that they're able able to to pay and obviously these particular review board that we body we've been talking about has been about teachers but there's other school staff as well with you know many schools reporting teaching assistants you know leaving to do jobs in supermarkets or other retail because actually they're now getting paid paid more more there so although you know pay is part of that that picture there there's also other issues aren't there in terms of of recruiting and and retaining both teachers and and other staff and so many organizations over the last few years i mean this just hasn't risen out you know at us by surprise has it it's been increasing over a significant number of years have been asking the government to come up with a recruitment strategy that is seriously uh, resourced and given given high priority so i i mean i think you know we're saying that too but we're one of many many organizations that have been saying it i think it's fairly self-evident that that needs to happen no i think you're right and i think um th- the sad but unsurprising uh, aspects of of this is that once again, we find that that those in schools, those leading schools and governing boards are are leading leading the way, perhaps where you know policymakers and and, and, and the government aren't, because uh, you you and I know we all know that uh, boards take um, teacher and leader well-being and workload extremely seriously. Um, it's it's always you know at near the top of the list of dis- uh, uh, for discussions in our leadership forums and and responses to our survey. We know that this is very much uh, a spine of attention for them, but it feels t- at least to me that um, you know we we can only go so far, can't we? At 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 school trust and policy level to create the conditions. For you know, for for making our schools and trusts great places to work and for for people to thrive and flourish in them, before the system needs to play its part. And I'm sorry, I've mentioned this in previous podcasts. And it's a recurring theme, spoken about other things like this. And it feels like that what the great work that that we know boards are doing, and we're trying to NGA to help them do that. You know, by learning about what works and and, and conveying that through advice, guidance, and uh, and professional development. It doesn't feel like that those efforts have been matched uh, at policy and government level. And really, you know, it, we, we, there's limited time, isn't there, available, I think, to form coherent policy in this parliament. But I think as priorities go, uh, this will be one I would, I, would, I would consider spending a lot of time on, of the time available. Absolutely. And let's say a, a board, a school of trust is fantastically good at, at attracting um, uh, talents, uh, talented people. But at the moment, they're probably attracting those people from another school or another trust. So those pupils are then losing out. And we're then on this merry-go-round rather than sorting 
sorting the problem. So yes, that's very. If we we seem to be creating a wish list here, so so a, a staff recruitment strategy from the government is number one on that on that list, and I think we'd all agree that number two is some action on send. So the green paper does still exist and there um, are uh, still going to be plans forthcoming. But Steve, you know, what do we want there and and what are we likely to, to see? It feels like we started a game of policy poker in this podcast, isn't it? Are you, I'll take your, I'll take your staff uh, recruitment and retention, and I'll raise you to send green paper. But you know, I don't want to be glib about it. This is really, really important, uh, and it, it's been such a long and drawn out saga. It's probably just worth briefly reminding our listeners how 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 we got here. So. The Send Green paper, as you say, was published in the spring, and, and that was after a lengthy delay. It took, you know, years to to actually get it published. The, you know, during which time the the Send system, you know, it was if not on the verge, has collapsed due to the demand for you know provision con- constantly outrunning the, the the resource that's available. So we were pleased to finally see the Send Green paper published in the spring. We, there was a lot uh, of good stuff in it that we you know, that we were happy to respond to in, in, in the consultation. We were broadly supportive of uh, the idea of national standards across uh, education, health and care. Uh, we were supportive of a simplified education, health and care plan system, inclusion plans and dashboards. All these things aimed at making the system less of a postcode lottery we've heard that term many times before haven't we uh, especially for parents but what we said as many others did in in our response to the consultation um, was that without the right level of resource none of those things are, are, are unlikely to take hold and, and work uh, in the way that we want them to well, that was the broad um sort of spirit of our response that we 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 like what was in the green paper generally but we we felt it it, we needed more clarity on how these things were going to be resourced uh that consultation finished in the summer and now we're still waiting for a national uh send delivery plan arising from from that consultation and from that green paper we were promised it would be with us by the end of last year now the government are saying, inverted commas, it will arrive in due course. Um, and, and in the meantime, special schools, as we know, if you're governing special, you're, you're crammed to the rafters. Send tribunals are, are rising you know, exponentially and, and, and parents are still having to go through the most awful experience to get uh, the support for you know, their children need need and deserve and you know i should also mention alternative provision here as well because that was part of the green paper that was um we we were quite pleased to see actually what was in there in terms of um making the um commissioning of alternative provision and alternative provision places clear clearer and easier and more accessible in principle we wanted to see a little bit more of the detail on that but they're they're another area of the sector that are that are struggling. We're waiting for you know waiting for a clear delivery plan arising from what was in the green paper. So um, yes, this is very much um, something that needs to move forward and move forward at, at speed. I know Emma, you govern in alternative provision, don't you? So some of these things I've mentioned will resonate very much with you, won't they? 
I do, Steve, both an alternative provision and an social, emotional, mental health special school. Um, and we're a, we're a sort of joint board over those two settings. Um, I think uh, both are full. You're absolutely right, which is really difficult. But the other thing that we're experiencing, which points to the need for more funding in the system, if there wasn't enough evidence for that already, is the um, increasingly complex needs of the children and young people that arrive at the PRU and the SEMH special school as well. Um, and obviously in special, we are kind of, or the staff are geared up really to deal with a whole host of different um, needs and have got all sorts of different kinds of support mechanisms in place. Uh, our alternative provision is fairly small and, and uh, just caters for the second half of like primary sector, if you like. Um, and actually, it's really, really increasingly difficult to provide the kind of support that a short stay setting is supposed to provide in order really to then fit children for their next their next port of call or to go back to their mainstream setting. And in a lot of cases, it's very difficult not just to become a holding um, place until the appropriate special school place becomes available, if there is even one that's appropriate for the kind of needs that are, are being seen in your local area. It, it's a real day-to-day -day challenge uh, for all the staff. That's a really good point, isn't it, about the, the, the complexity of need? And, uh, and, and we're seeing that, we're hearing that. Uh, a lot. In fact, just to get a brief plug-in, we we at NGA we run a a network, a termly network for those who govern in specialist provision, but also those who govern in mainstream who have uh, a particular interest in 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 send issues. Uh, and that group meets every every term, and you feel free to to sign up for that for the next meeting. And that that issue comes up a lot, actually. That how we how we are since since the pandemic, how the complexity of needs and uh, you know has grown, uh, and uh, beyond what schools are equipped uh, and other provision is equipped to 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 deliver. So I think that really is something that that again, uh, you know, is why we're crying out for for a delivery plan on the back of this uh, of this green paper. And even if the expectation is to be that mainstream settings need to expand their repertoire to be able to uh, be inclusive, remain even more inclusive than they already are of children who've got complex needs, there's a huge training um, and, and sort of skilling up issue there as well as the resource implications. Yeah, I couldn't, I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And I think uh, the, the, one of the keys key to unlocking the issues in the system is to build more capacity in mainstream uh, but of course then that requires investment you know and uh, and the right people uh, you know who are confident to you know to be able to provide that level level of support it certainly does and i think that um one of the things i would say of the particular area where i work and govern locally is um that actually those children and families who feel it more keenly are those that are from more disadvantaged backgrounds. Um, and I know that actually those sort of communities find it very difficult to be able to mobilise and do something concrete about it. Sam, I know your team have been working on disadvantaged recently as well, haven't you? We have, Emma, yeah, and it's really interesting um, listening to you talk there because I think one of the 
the key objectives for the work that we've been doing has been looking to really um, broaden the lens through which educational disadvantage is, is viewed. And uh, I think this is really very much based on the, the fact that uh, up to this point, um, uh, the, the schools and, and trusts across the sector, I think that they're, they're very much led to, to view um, disadvantage through um, the, the, the way that the, the, the department um, views it um, uh, with the, the use of the people premium. Um, uh, but but we, but we know um, that actually when you when you dig down and look at what schools are actually doing um, and and how they're looking to tackle educational disadvantage on the grounds, lots of them uh, ha- had already been um, extending the way that they they viewed ed- educational disadvantage and, and the way that they they tackled it and and so we we really wanted to to build on this and this is something that we've been focusing on um for for a while we know that disadvantage uh, in education is consistently reported as one of the the biggest challenges that, that schools and trusts face our survey tells us that year in year out um and it's a persistent issue that that can really take on lots of different forms uh, regardless of of the root cause um and uh, i think we we really want to bottom that out and help um schools and trusts help governors and trustees as they look to put in place strategies to to tackle it and and i think so much of that starts with actually making space in the in the first place to to really think about well, what what does disadvantage mean for us so uh, a lot of the work that we've been doing has really been been focusing on 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 that that side of things and it, it a lot of it comes r- right back to uh, a previous bit of work that we did um back in in 2018 when we published a um a, a report called spotlight on disadvantage i know some listeners will will be familiar with that something that we reference quite a lot and in that report, um, we explored the role of governing boards in in spending uh, and monitoring um, uh, and evaluating the pupil premium. But that report actually concluded that the receipt of um, pupil premium was not the only um, thing that, that determined um, how how schools uh, um, uh, approach disadvantage in, in the first place, and and actually concluded that uh, a more holistic approach was needed. Uh, I think a, a key part of that was um, thinking about the other areas of disadvantage that, that schools and trusts um, uh, were, were looking at. Uh, and so what we've, what we've done is um, produced uh, a set of, of toolkits based on five drivers of, of educational disadvantage. And you've just been talking about one of them, Emma, um, one of them being SEND. Um, the, uh, another one being children living in poverty, whether that's them being in receipt of the pupil premium or not. Um, uh, another one uh, is around ethnicity. Um, and um, we also looked at vulnerability. Um, so children on protection plans, um, uh, child in need plan, or whether they're a, a looked after child. Uh, and then the, 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 the final area was um, uh, pupils and, and, and children uh, experiencing low well-being uh, and emotional uh, and mental health uh, problems as well. So we've we've looked to produce a toolkit for each of these. Um, but what 
what we really want to do is build on the feedback from the the vast um, uh, numbers of of uh, governors and trustees out there that have been um, uh, looking to tackle each one of these areas and and uh, have already achieved so much. And so we've we've published the first set of these toolkits, but we're now over the next year looking to expand and refine on them and really feed into uh, those toolkits, the the practice that we've heard um, uh, from people. So um, we will be um, in in our next round of um, governance leadership forums, which take place right at the end of January and into early February. Um, we're we're gonna we've got a, a, an exciting um, uh, a few sessions planned with some panelists that are really experienced in this area, but we're also going to be hearing from from delegates on what they're doing, and we're going to be using that feedback to really build on what we've produced. So I think it's a really um, ex exciting time for us in terms of uh, how we take the next part of our disadvantaged work on. We, like I say, we 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 don't want this to just be about what NGA thinks is 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 the right thing to do, but really to 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 build on um, uh, what has worked um, for um, uh, governors and, and trustees in, in schools and trusts. So it's so really ex excited to see that that develop going forwards. I was going to say, Sam, I think that's that's really reflected um, by our national leaders of governance reviews as well. So our external reviews that the NLG team are doing. The second top issue, if you like, if I was going to synthesise all of the reviews that we've conducted so far, the second most common issue that's raised is about that clear scrutiny, monitoring and focus. So those toolkits that will help guide trustees and governors to the, the look at the right things, yes, pupil premium, but obviously all of those other indicators as well and what settings can do to make sure they're really supporting um, those children who are from those more vulnerable backgrounds um, to, to kind of achieve and have an experience that's more in line with their peers. is It's really important and, and much needed. Yeah, good, good, good point, Emma. Is there anything, I mean, we could talk about the learning from um, national leaders of governance and our consultancy team for the, for a whole hour, but we won't, we won't do that. But you just want to pick sort of one or two other headlines from that work that we're doing with, you know, so many up and down the country. Some, what are some tips for really making sure that your ongoing governance continues to function well? Effectively. I mean, I think that one of the things that we would say is don't get complacent about your vision and strategy or over-reliant on the executive leaders, your, your heads and your CEOs to do that for you. So make sure, even if they're taking a lead on development and improvement planning, as you would expect, actually, you've been involved in that vision and strategy and that you know that the two um, talk to each other so that the actual operational plan is going to achieve the vision that you want to achieve um, uh, uh, that you've set with your whole school community. And then the other one, I suppose, which is a real uh, a top end one, um, is about that composition. Steve and Emma, you started the podcast talking about recruitment um, in schools of teaching staff, but we know as well, don't we, how big of an issue 
uh, turnover on governing boards can be and trust boards and actually getting the right skills, the right size. So that composition is something that we're trying to say all the time to boards. Be really proactive, celebrate the work that you do, make sure that you think about the visible governance stuff that we were talking about so that everybody knows what an impact governance can have. And, and then people hopefully will be, will be tempted to, to join. And then one of the things that is coming up increasingly, um, through the review process is actually that key role of the governance professional. So if your governance professional is supporting you, they can really be the key to the improvements that are being recommended by our NLGs and really support your board to get things right. And I know we're sort of really excited, aren't we, Steve, about our, our pathway for governance professionals, and it couldn't have come at a, a better time, really. And that's what our NLG reviews are certainly saying. Yeah, and the thing I'd say about um, national leaders of governance is that they're, they're probably better placed than anyone uh, to make that observation, because if if my memory serves me correctly, over half of them, our national leaders are governance professionals. And I think majority of those are, are league, majority of that, that, that proportion are league governance professionals working in trusts. So they would absolutely know uh, about what makes uh, effective governance and effective governance professional support tick. And I, I, you know, I couldn't agree more. Um, it always has been. It was ever thus. It was always been fundamental to the effective uh, functioning of a, of a governing board, having a uh, professional expertise on hand. But of course, it's a very different um profession to to what it once was and when we, perhaps we we all first got involved in in governance you know there are, uh, and there, there are many different types of governance professional roles serving different governing structures and different needs uh level and levels of support and really that's um that was that was really at the one of the root uh, main root causes one of the main reasons we we decided to uh, develop a pathway uh, for governance professionals, because the profession was telling us that actually um, they needed help themselves uh, to negotiate, uh, uh, you know, the career landscape that was was emerging for them. But more importantly than that, they felt uh, that the sector as a whole, governing board level, at trust board level, uh, executive leadership level, and then into the into the system, needed educating about uh, about what governance professionals do, how they work, uh, and, and 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 the difference that they make. So we we thought very long and hard about about this, and then over the course of the last last year, with some fantastic support from hundreds of governance professionals working up and down the country in different uh, types of role, we developed a resource that's free to access. On our website, as I'm sure many of our listeners know, because we launched it in December, uh, and and that resource uh, really um, explains for the uninitiated and the more initiated and everybody who, who falls in between that what what governance professional support looks like at different levels in schools and trusts. So. Uh, if you're designing a governance professional role, if you're recruiting to a governance professional role, if you're constructing CPD or um, accessing networks or be part of that, you'll find something in our in, in our in our professional pathway that will add value to what you're doing. But the bigger picture here is that we're all, we're educating the sector in what 
in, in what governance professionals do and what we hope we will achieve from that long term is, is we will have the you know more people entering the profession uh, and uh, the profession becoming stronger because that can only benefit governance and that, and that, and that benefits children so um, you know that that's remo- very important reminder from our NLGs you're quite right Emma couldn't have come at a better time mm. absolutely and that fits in with that, that that conversation we were having about staffing because we also know don't we that tr- some trusts and schools are struggling to find um lead governance professionals or or clerks um uh for their for their schools so that we very much need to sort of grow some of our own and and one of the facilities on is also um uh, an advertising uh, service uh for 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 jobs so yes please do do look at that and then the last few minutes that we've 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 got together i thought i'd ask each of you and uh, what over the uh coming uh, term or so was sort of really exciting you in terms of the potential for 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 governance and improvement so um sam do you want to do you want to start first yeah thanks thanks emma um well uh, as ever i'm going to be spending a, f- a fair amount of of my time working on governance in, in multi-academy trusts. I'm a MAP trustee myself um, and um, really uh, excited that we're going to be having our MAP governance conference um, in the not too distant future and on the 12th of May. So I'm really looking forward to that and I think that'll be a really good opportunity for for MAP trustees, governance professionals to, to gather together. Uh, so I think, um, you know, that's what that, that will that'll be really good. Um, or we're also going to be um, uh, pulling together the the brand new edition of our um, trustee uh, guide for for MAP trustees. Welcome to a multi academy trust. Um, and then um, very soon, um, hopefully in, in the, uh, uh, slightly later on this term, we're going to be publishing um, a, a, a new report looking at practice in um, academy committees or local governing bodies in in multi academy trusts. So we've we've pulled together a number of um, case studies from from different trusts across the country, different sizes. So really looking forward to um, getting that out there, and I think um, uh, it's good, good, we've got some some great uh, and really informative um, things in 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 that set of case studies. So um, look out for right. that everyone. Well, quite quite a quite a stream of work coming um, coming along for uh, for multi academy trusts. That's that's great. Uh, what about you, Emma? What are you looking forward to? Well, I'm excited. We've we've launched um, our, our new sessions for uh, leaders, school leaders of um, every setting. So, if you're a maintained school leader, whether it's a, a head teacher or a, a school business manager, uh, whether you're a CEO of a mat trustee or a, again a, a business leader in there, a SAT, or those who are um, leaders in um, local settings so whether you're a a head of school uh, and you're sort of based within a trust we've got four um sessions that are for those particular audiences on how to work more effectively with your governing board so we're really hoping that our members encourage their leaders to sign up they're just sort of an hour and a half um or so sessions where you'll get to talk lots about governance and how you work with your board and how to do it better so it'll be facilitated by somebody who is an expert in that area 
and in that field. And hopefully you'll be able to get lots of hints and tips to make your governance really great for 2023. And probably the other thing that I'm really excited about is that we are launching uh, our final modules three and four in our equality, diversity and inclusion e-learning suite. So those will be available on um, both Learning Link and freely on our trial site because we've partnered with Askell on developing those. So they'll be available to anybody to have a look at by the end of March, beginning of April. Great. Thank you, Emma. And then, Steve, I know you've already talked about the governance professional pathway, but um, is there anything else you, you're particularly looking forward to? I think just just generally, as Sam was saying, you know, uh, about governing ourselves, you know, that's that's the best learning for us, really, because it bring, it feels like it brings us closer to to our members and and what we do. So I'm I'm looking forward to another interesting year of, of governing. But more than that, just the opportunity to speak to people, you know, to our members, governance professionals, of course, about about all the things I've I've just mentioned, but also our members in general about you know what what's exercising them what's challenging them what they're getting right what they what needs to be to be shared more widely for the benefit of the system that's always really exciting and for, feels it always that much more exciting at the beginning of a year you know when you're, you're kind of energized and ready to go again and i think for us you know we 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 take our member experience very seriously. We, we we want the experience for our members to be the best that it can be, and we think carefully about that year in year out. And and this year, as some of our members might have got the got an inkling of, but we haven't really you know gone full on public about it. We, we will be uh, we will be transforming our member experience through a a, a new and improved uh, NGA website that's coming on uh, streaming in the spring. We, really excited uh, about that I, I've had the privilege of seeing that come together behind the scenes and um, I, I think that's that's going to be a big thing for for for, uh, for our members and and they'll see the difference and and with that we'll I'm not sure how much I can say about this yet because we probably haven't done an official so you heard it here first folks on the podcast there will be a there will be a brand new look for NGA a fresh and exciting look for NGA that goes with the launch of that website that's about as much as I'm going to say I hope I'm still in employment Emma <laughs> uh, I probably I, that's about as far as I, I can go really but uh, you heard it here first absolutely and colorful it colorful it will it will be so absolutely there's an awful lot as you say going on behind the scenes and you sort of stole mine Steve because mine was actually about getting out and about and seeing more people in person because 2022 we did so many and it's really good that we do so many virtual events it is wonderful to be able to join people's conferences virtually and reach more numerically but I must say I still miss going to different parts of the country feeling that the temperature and the context and actually meeting people over over a cup of tea so I'm really pleased that I'm getting more invitations to actual live events um, this uh, this year so please do keep them coming because as Steve says we do really like to engage and um, with governors and trustees across the country and take that incredibly um, seriously so yes very good luck in your um, governing this year and please do um, stay in touch so goodbye from all of us till the next time